Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is a continuation of our NBA positional ranking series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Eastern Conference point guards. But before we get to that, there was a huge trade between the Washington Wizards and the Houston Rockets recently as the Washington Wizards acquired Russell Westbrook and the Houston Rockets acquired John Wall. So Jalen, who won this trade? Um, so it's weird. I think that Houston wins it. It's weird because both players are relatively similar in their own little way. They're not very great shooting the three ball, um, at least percentage-wise, shooting closer to 30% um, from three-point land. Um, they both can facilitate relatively well. They both play with a lot of, like, pace, and they play with a lot of um, aggression, which is really good to see um, out of point guards nowadays in terms of really playing up and down with the way everything is favorable amongst, you know, high-powered offenses in the NBA nowadays. And the other thing is they both are owed a lot of money, <laughs> dang near the exact same amount of money. So I think the way that Houston wins this is there's reports that James Harden preferred to play with a guy like James, uh, like John Wall instead of Russell Westbrook. That was number one. So that's pleasing. James Harden puts it more in a position where maybe they can still, you know, salvage what there is of their relationship rather than him still wanting to leave. They're also is the aspect of something I brought up in one of our off-season related topics um, on the podcast. And that was the fact that I was sad that DeMarcus Cousins was not signed by the uh, Washington Wizards and instead they selected uh, Robin Lopez in free agency. Well, we do still get to see the Kentucky Bros link up just in Houston instead of Washington. And I think that that gives John Wall a really good good crutch coming into the um coming back to the league after being out for two years to have a superstar guy like uh like James Harden wanting to play with him and a ex-teammate who they once won a national championship with in DeMarcus Cousins as a as a guy who in their positions they already understand each other's game. Now granted both of them have expanded in terms of what their uh status is in the league as compared to where they may have been in college is one of the better Kentucky one of the better if not best Kentucky teams that John Calipari has had but also the fact that they already have a bit of a wavelength despite you know being somewhat different I think it puts them in the best situation um the Wizards man I don't know how Russ works with Bradley Beal um, I think that having Russ also kind of takes away from a guy like Denny Abdia's uh, growth and ability just because I think that if there's one thing that makes John Wall and Russ significantly different. It's probably just the fact that Wall probably puts a lot more emphasis on facilitating. It just looks like the Wizards felt like they needed to do something and this is what we got. So a part of me believes that Washington won this trade just because I believe the 
the John Wall Bradley Beal era is over in Washington. I just think that it wasn't going to go anywhere. I think the ceiling of a duo like John Wall and Bradley Beal was the Eastern Conference semifinals. And I think the closest they got to the Eastern Conference finals was in 2016 when they faced the Boston Celtics and took them to seven games. I just think that there's a possibility that John Wall may have a career resurgence in Houston, but I feel like Washington's getting a guy in Russell Westbrook who is already in his prime. He could still lead a team, and I think he's in a new environment where they feel like, or where he he feels like they have the best chance to win. It's just interesting that he was traded to Washington. Now, I understand that they, they need a point guard, and it's huge that they get a guy like Russell Westbrook because maybe he's the he is the piece that Washington needs to maybe make a deep playoff run, but the talent around him doesn't reflect that. And I think that, yes, you have Bradley Beal. He is one of the best shooting guards in the league. You have Denny Avdia, who has a lot of upside. Rui Hashimura is coming off a pretty good first season. I just think that with the talent around him, can he make a run? Maybe, but I'm not expecting Russell Westbrook to change the Washington Wizards. No, I feel you. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is just that, you know, again, I felt like they just needed to make something happen, and this was just the results of it. Um, Genuinely speaking, I think that we're in a circumstance right now where we're going to have to kind of see how things gel initially because one of the biggest things you touched on is just the fact that, you know, John Wall is coming from significant injury. So I think that's the only thing that kind of leans in the Wizards' favor in terms of winning the trade is just that they know they have a known commodity in Russell Westbrook who has his own little bit of an injury history, but he hasn't been away from the game for two whole years the way a guy in John Wall has been. So I think the first couple of weeks of the season are going to be extremely telling because we've seen all the workout videos from John Wall and everything like that. And I've been extremely encouraged um, seeing it, regardless if he's in a Wizards jersey or not, I'm still really encouraged to see John Wall come back this season. But my biggest concern still is just seeing how does he hang against NBA level defense? I mean, over the course of the two last two years, Ryan, I think we can both argue that the league is somehow still significantly shifted, even from just two years ago when John Wall was in the mix playing. I think he would at least got about 30 games in before his injury was suffered. So adjusting to that is going to be kind of significant too because – it's one thing when the Warriors kind of boosted the up-tempo as it was around the time that John Wall was still in all-star caliber shape. But I think everything has kind of been taken to the umpteenth degree. And he wasn't able to get very far when things were what they were, like you mentioned before. So the question is, how much more can they really do moving forward with things being even further along play style wise than where John Wall was before. But I guess it does help that he has a guy in James Harden on his team. Cause I mean, no disrespect to Bradley Beal, but I think we do also both agree that James Harden is a better player than Bradley Beal. So transitioning now to our top 10 Eastern conference point guards, Jalen, who are your top 10 Eastern conference point guards? 
All right. So at number one, I have Ben Simmons of the Philadelphia 76ers. At number two, I have Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets. At number three, I have Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks. At number four, I have Drew Holiday of the now Milwaukee Bucks. At number five, I had John Wall here, but I do still agree that Russell Westbrook fits at this number five spot in the Eastern Conference. Um, At number six, I have Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors. At number seven, I have Kimball Walker of the Boston Celtics. At number eight, I have Goran Dragic of the Miami Heat. At number nine, I have Malcolm Brogdon of the Indiana Pacers. And at number 10, I have LaMelo Ball of the Charlotte Hornets. For my list, at number 10, I have Malcolm Brogdon. Number nine, I have Kyle Lowry. Number eight was supposed to be John Wall, but now it is Russell Westbrook. Number seven is Ben Simmons. Number six is Goran Dragic. Number five is Spencer Dinwiddie. Number four is Drew Holiday. Number three is Kemba Walker. Number two is Trey Young. And number one is Kyrie Irving. Interesting. Interesting. Man, Ryan, we have excellent places to start. So I am going to start at the very top of my list because that is where things are the most glaring. Not only do we agree that Kyrie Irving and Trey Young are top three guards in this league. We have them relatively close in proximity to where to to where we dang near have the same beginning to our list. I have Kyrie at two, Trey Young at three. You have Kyrie at one, Trey Young at two. But the odd man out here is Ben Simmons. I have Ben Simmons at the very top of my list while you have him as far as seven. Ryan, tell me why in the world a 6'9 point guard who was in the running for defensive player of the year before getting injured last season is not at the top of your Eastern Conference point guards rankings, or at least in the top five. So I keep Ben Simmons at number seven because of the fact that he doesn't have a jump shot. That's really one of his flaws. Um, I put Kyrie Irving and Trey Young at my top two because Jalen, here at the Hoop Talk podcast, we like bucket getters. Kyrie Irving is a bucket getter, and Trey Young is a bucket getter. Kyrie Irving in 20 games averaged 27 points. And then for uh, Trey Young, he averaged 29 points a game, which is the most out of all point guards in the league. Ben Simmons, who is, of course, you said a 6'9 point guard, he averaged 16 points, 7 rebounds, and 8 assists. I think those are very good numbers. I think that with Kyrie Irving, he's healthy this year. He has a new coach. He has a new co-star in Kevin Durant. Trey Young is becoming one of the best point guards in the league. I think that if Ben Simmons doesn't shoot efficiently in the mid-range and shoot efficiently from three, I think that he's not going to be a top five point guard. I think that Ben Simmons still has a lot of growth um, in terms of where he is as a player. And I think that I'd rather take Kyrie Irving and Trey Young over Ben Simmons. So here's, here's where I stood on the circumstances with Trey Young and Ben um, Trey Young and Kyrie Irving versus Ben Simmons. My thing was, 
Kyrie Irving, first of all, Kyrie Irving's injury history concerns me significantly, but not enough for me to take him out of the top three in, as in terms of the Eastern Conference um, point guards rankings. That's number one. But that is a concern. I, you could say the same thing about Ben Simmons, but we're talking about a guy in Kyrie Irving who didn't even play more than nine games in college once upon a time. Um, still became the first overall pick, which, again, is why I'm not super concerned about taking him out of the top three, but still a concern nonetheless. And it also affected him last season to the point that he didn't play a good majority of last season. And the only thing we really remember from him is the what could have been the greatest Twitter uh, 40 seconds of our life versus the Minnesota Timberwolves, where, I mean, we've probably seen the most acrobatic set of dribbling since watching AI get the double crossover on Michael Jordan once upon a time. So, I mean, he's still an elite ball handler, one of the greatest under the rim finishers in the league. So there's that. Trey Young is a net negative defender. His biggest thing that benefits him is his court vision and his ability to shoot three from anywhere on the floor. I don't think those are things that uh, should be undermined, but I believe that the issue is that his ability to only play one side of the ball hurts because they also, with all of the point guards in the Eastern Conference and even across the league, they know that that's a favorable matchup. And it's already kind of a, a relatively a 50-50 toss-up between Trey Young and whoever the opposing point guard is just from a skill standpoint because the point guard position in the NBA is just so deep. But then to know that you're also a net negative defender is kind of the part that hurts you. Everybody compares him to Steph Curry, but that he doesn't have the instinctual um, team defense, defense presence to play like a Steph Curry, who still averaged between one to two steals per game. So that's kind of what hurts him for, for me. I think Ben Simmons not being able to shoot has been my biggest gripe, but when you're an all NBA level defender, you're an all NBA caliber player as on the offensive side of the, uh, the ball, being able to average 16, eight and eight, just about without a jump shot, mind you, that's without a jump shot to be able to be that all around of a player. And the one thing that we can only harp on is just his inability or um, the, the doubt in himself to not take jump shots. It hurts his case, but I don't think it hurts his case enough to drop him below some of these other guys who are only really offensively oriented. And I agree. I think that Ben Simmons has the ability to eventually develop a jump shot. I think he is an all-around player. I don't have any doubts about his game. Of course, the jump shot will always be a recurring issue, but the fact that he's averaging 16, 8, and 8 is incredible and he's a 6'9 point guard who can play pretty much four positions on the floor, I think that's huge for the Philadelphia 76er. In terms of also ranking Trey Young and Kyrie Irving, I think you're absolutely correct about Trey Young's defense. I have Kyrie Irving number, at number one because he's a slightly better defender than Trey Young, and I think Trey Young, I think Trey Young is at two because of his defense. I know he still has time to improve on that throughout his career, but I think that as of right now, Kyrie Irving is better than Trey Young. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the real interesting part. And I think we both have um, an agreement on Kyrie Irving being better than Trey Young. Um, 
I think that part of things just comes down to proven, you know, um, Trey Young's first real shot at even being a playoff contender is this year, you know, like that's kind of just one of those things that we kind of already have a little bit of an understanding of that team has significantly gotten better this off season. Um, still might be potentially fighting for the six through eight seed. I went out on a limb and put a hot take in one of our last episodes um, of reacting to a lot of the moves they made this offseason and said they might even be able to excel as high as a four seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, so this is his first real shot. I think that Kyrie has per- proven more on the big stage. And you could say that in comparison to Ben Simmons as well. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to undermine Kyrie's overall status in the league from that standpoint either. So I think my biggest thing for them, for these three, is going to do, is going to have a lot to do with how they react in their new situations. Because they all have different situations despite being on the same teams they were on last year. Ben Simmons is on a team that's a little bit more predicated to what him and Joel Embiid do in terms of being able to bring in guys like Seth Curry, um, do things in the draft and get guys like Tyrese Maxey. In terms of Trey Young, I mean, A, he finally has an actual squad now um, to trot out there, which I think is significantly helpful. And he has what he's desperately needed the last two years, which is actually actually having point guard depth, which is is, you know, a blessing in disguise because I think although it's just Rondo and it's just Chris Dunn, having two competent backup point guards for when he comes off the floor helps his confidence in terms of being able to know that when he comes back on, he can still be in control of the game rather than feeling like he has to fight to get the team back into the game. And then for Kyrie Irving, he's playing next to Kevin Durant. It's not exactly the same thing as playing next to LeBron James. And of course, on top of that, there are still questions as to whether or not the James Harden thing will take place. There's questions as to where uh, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie fit on this team. So I think the way all of these guys adapt in their new situations are going to tell us a ton about what they, um, they want to do, you know, what they want to do and what they can become by the end of this season. So let's talk about the other part of our list. So let's shift down all the way to number 10. At number 10, I had Malcolm Brogdon. At number 10, you had LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball hasn't played a game in the NBA yet, but you feel like he's a top 10 point guard. Explain why you believe LaMelo Ball is a top 10 point guard. Man, it's because, you know, here's my thing. First of all, it's opportunity um, in the Eastern Conference in terms of where he, where he lies amongst the Eastern Conference teams. Once you get past the first six to eight teams, um, the position of point guard gets whittled down significantly. One guy that you included on your list is a great opportunity to be able to address this because you didn't have LaMelo on your list and I did not have Spencer Dinwiddie on mine. In a circumstance like that, the reason why I didn't include a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie is because he doesn't start for his team. Um, significantly productive off the bench, but he's not a guy that's going to get a lot of usage. I also feel like LaMelo Ball, outside of just usage, is a more creative passer and an overall better scorer than Spencer Dinwiddie. I I see very minimal people arguing against that um, with the skill set that LaMelo Ball has. Being 6'8 also is a significant help 
um, in terms of his court vision. We see that for a guy who's 6'9", and Ben Simmons, obviously LaMelo is not built the way Ben Simmons is, but his wiry handle and his ability to get to the rim, despite not being the most athletic guy, is really helpful in terms of being able to get other guys involved while also being able to get, create his own shot. And I'm going to kind of piggyback off of that last point I just said about creating his own shot. I think that's the most the most impactful skill at the guard position nowadays is your ability to create for yourself and create for others. And I think that funny enough, outside of maybe Trey Young and Russell Westbrook on, on, on this list, maybe even Ben Simmons as well. I think LaMelo ball might be the best facilitator on this list. So with those things being thrown into consideration, yeah, it's a little early to call him a top 10 point guard in his conference when he hasn't even taken a dribble. But when the pool is very light, once you get past the first six to eight, I think that LaMelo arguably could be in the top 10 considering the level of upside he has in the team that he's on that's going to allow him to showcase his full ability from the get-go. So I'm glad I asked that question because I just I kind of wanted to see what confidence you had in LaMelo Ball, even though he hasn't played a game in the NBA yet. I think he is, of course, one of the best facilitators coming out of the 2020 NBA draft. He also has amazing court vision, but I think the issue that I mentioned in one of the draft episodes is the fact that he has a very questionable shot selection. And I think that that's really one of my main issues with LaMelo Ball. And I think that him being on a team that's run by arguably the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan, that honestly might help him considering that I think he's going to be able to learn under um, Michael Jordan. I also think that he's going to be able to gain experience on the court just by leading an offense um, in the NBA. And I think that it's almost a perfect team considering that LaMelo Ball as a young point guard is surrounded by other young players who are really good. Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, they're all amazing players. And then you add Vernon Carey as well um, coming out of Duke. I think that, you know, this lineup has the ability to do a lot of damage in the league. And I think that this lineup has the ability to lead Charlotte to the playoffs for the first time in about four years. And I think that LaMelo Ball has the ability to become an even better point guard than what Kemba Walker was in Charlotte. Okay, and I'm glad that's actually where you segue to because that's another guy on this list that we have very significant uh gaps between um you had Kimba as high as three and I had him at six so with that being the case I know that the easy thing to do when you talk about Kimba Walker is he's comparable to Kyrie Irving probably just addressed as Kyrie Irving light right and I, I guess that has a good reason to have him at number three but at the same time this is a guy who's not even dare I say, the third option on his team. I mean, maybe he's the third option now, but there was a time it was there was a time during the season, especially during the bubble specifically, where one could argue that Marcus Smart was their better point guard at one point. 
Also, Kimball Walker is a guy who's not even going to be starting the 2021 season. Um, he's a guy who's injured right now and has a significant thing taking place where he might not play until mid-January at the earliest. So he's a guy who coming off of injury, I think we're going to see a very slow start for him versus you know, seeing him come out gangbusters as the third option now that um, Gordon Hayward is no longer on the roster. So I have my concerns about Kimball Walker. I also wonder whether or not he has a ceiling as a point guard on this team. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that I take into consideration about a lot of the guys that are on this list for me is that they're either the first or the second option on their team. And I cannot necessarily argue that that uh that Kimball Walker is in that tier you know amongst his team we know Jason Tatum is first the way that Jalen Brown played last season and the way he was paid <laughs> the last two like about a year or two ago it seems that they want to put the kind of belief that the money shows in him to say that he's their second best player so Kimball Walker you have to wonder you know, where does he fit in as a scoring option? And if it's third, can you be third on your team as a scoring option and still be third in your conference at your position? I, I think it's debatable. So I see where you're coming from, but I look at Kemba Walker and I look at the team overall that he's on. When Kyrie Irving was, when Kyrie Irving was on Boston, he led the teams to the playoffs, and they only won one game against Milwaukee. They did not look like a complete team. They did not look like they had a lot of chemistry. They did not look like they gelled together. And I think that's one of the reasons why I feel like when Kemba Walker won the Boston Celtics, they became a completely different team in terms of team chemistry. I feel like they were able to work well on the floor. I think Kemba Walker is a guy who can – distribute the ball equally so that everybody so that everybody can score. I think he really fits into the Celtics offense and he's able to give more opportunities for guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to shine in the offense. And I think that with a guy like Kemba Walker, even though he's not averaging 25 points a game, I feel like he's able to contribute in other ways. Like I say, he's getting the ball to Jason Tatum. He's getting the ball to Jalen Brown. He's getting the ball to Marcus Smart. And I feel like, yes, I understand that he is the third option on the Boston Celtics. But I think in terms of team chemistry, in terms of who their starting point guard was last year uh, or the year before with Kyrie Irving, I think Kemba Walker gels with this team more than Kyrie Irving did. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question that needs to be taken into consideration is just the fact that um, how he gels on the team definitely brings them better together than how Kimba or how, how Kyrie once upon a time did. So I think that there's a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration. I just wonder how gelling cons makes you in consideration to top three. I do believe that Kimba Walker is a top um, guard in the Eastern Conference. I just wonder whether or not whether or not three is too high. But I see your argument. It's one of those things that, like I said, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be determined a lot off of what happens with um, how he performs when he comes back. And I agree. I think that you know we we should give it time for Kemba Walker to come back, heal from his injuries, and hopefully he will be the same player that he was last year. 
I just feel like I understand being the third scoring option probably doesn't probably means that you shouldn't be third best in your conference. But I think that Kemba Walker, given what he does outside of scoring, I think is what makes him the third best point guard. He averages close to 20 points. He gets four rebounds a game. He averages under five assists. He's also a solid defender as well, which doesn't get talked about a lot. And he has great ball handling skills as a point guard. And then just given the fact that he creates opportunities for others on his team, I think that he's maybe one of the most unselfish players in the NBA right now in terms of just not focusing on how or not focusing on not focusing on how many points he's going to get a game. His goal is just to distribute the ball to his teammates. He wants to let his teammates shine and he's just a part of the offense. And I think that Kemba Walker does just enough for Boston to gel as a team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the last thing I guess we should touch on really quick is just who is the one guard that stands out on this list the most that you want to get kind of get a little bit off your chest about and kind of, you know, go to bat for why they're on your list or why they're at the position they are on your list. For me, it's Drew Holiday at number four. Um, he's the most under a point guard in the NBA. He averaged 19 points last season and under seven assists a game. He's an all-around player. He's one of the best defenders in the NBA, and he has the ability to lead his team and score. He plays extremely well off the ball, and I think now he's now that he's given another opportunity in Milwaukee, he should be able to compliment Giannis. I also have to talk about a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, which, which you mentioned that he wasn't on your list. He averaged 20 points and seven assists last season and he has the ability to lead an offense. Last season when Kyrie Irving was injured, he stepped up. He can attack the basket. He can create his own shot. He's a good facilitator. And I think the only thing that he really needs to improve on is his three-point shooting efficiency, considering that he only shot 31% from three last season. I still feel like Spencer Dinwiddie, even though he is coming off the bench, he is a top point guard in this league. Well, I mean, I think that I think that those are two guys that are very arguable in terms of what's going on. You know, I'm going to go back, go to bat for my guy, Drew Holiday. Obviously, we had him at the same spot at number four. Um, and that's just because I feel like although he's not talked about as an elite point guard, he can play on both sides of the floor. And I think that he's going to be a really good addition to Milwaukee and a sneaky ad with the fact that they were able to keep Chris Middleton. So I really like that pickup. The other guy, obviously, that I'd like to talk about is Goran Dragic. He's a guy who showed up big time during the playoffs last season. They, he essentially became their leading scorer during the playoffs up until his injury in game one, going into game one of the NBA finals. So he's a guy who they were able to return um, or be able to uh, bring back and I think that that's going to be sneaky big for them because they're maintaining the core of their team by bringing him back and um, signing Bam Adebayo to that extension. So I think that's going to be huge for them moving forward because he brings a lot of stability at that point guard position, but he also brings a lot of veteran leadership and the ability to step up when they need him the most. So I think that's really huge for them because they're in a situation right now where they really can – and should look to build upon what they were able to accomplish last season because the idea is that I don't think that just because of the bubble, that was some kind of fluke. I think that Miami team was genuinely built to be a championship contender, and I think that Goran Dragic obviously has a lot to do with that. 
So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe is the best point guard in the Eastern Conference? It's been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.